Hello, you're listening to Overwhelm is Optional. Hello and welcome to Overwhelm is Optional. My name's Heidi Mark and I'm really excited to be here. Um, I love podcasts and it's been a long held dream to actually get out there and do my own. Um, it was something I was going to do later in the year, maybe even next year. But with the current crisis, I'm releasing this first episode um, in March 2020. So the world's in quite a frightening state. And I just feel that maybe I can help by adding my contribution to easing people's struggle and pain with overwhelm. So when I say overwhelm is optional... What does that bring up for you? Now, if you're listening, I'm assuming it didn't put you off by making you think, no, it's not optional. Um, so it's quite it's quite an interesting title because it's got I feel it's got like several layers. And the purpose of it for me is to just playfully disrupt the idea that, first of all, overwhelm is inevitable, which is what I hear a lot of. And I find this really sad. So for me, I want to give hope. I want to empower you with even the slightest like chink of light in your overwhelm, that it is optional and that there's something you can do so that I want to give you hope. I help people all the time get out of overwhelm. Um, so the purpose, the purpose of my podcast is to explore this kind of modern, if it is a modern um, state of living in overwhelm where we're just kind of in this fog and we're just getting stuff done and we keep getting stuff done but we're just not really actually living because we're in this fog and I don't know when you get really stuck in an overwhelm that really really horrible state it's actually incredibly painful and, and it's a big struggle in the end I think to get through the day because you lose that clarity of thought and then then your energy goes and you just feel so overloaded it's such a horrible place to be and for me it's such a waste I just look around and see so many people overwhelmed with their their minds overloaded and I want to challenge the idea that that's okay because to me it's not okay and there's something we can do about it. And as humans, we can and should be looking at why this is happening. So although I work with people who are, I help people who are stressed and exhausted as well. And sometimes there's physical pain, quite often there's physical pain. For me, the reason I'm focusing on overwhelm is I see it as kind of like this gateway, like a gateway drug to the stress and the and and the pain and, and the exhaustion. And and it's like everybody's on a different journey. So when we start to to say, well, you should be doing this or you should be doing that, that might not actually be appropriate for you. Whereas if if we can get some clarity about our own situation and how our own needs are thriving, because that's what that's what we could all be doing, um, what's, what arguably we should be doing, making the absolute best of this precious, precious life, this gift of life, instead of just getting through in this state of utter oppressive overwhelm, then in order to do that, you need, we all need to tune into our own energy, our own needs, our own way of being that suits us. 
And when we're in overwhelm, we can't do that. And when other people tell us what to do, for example, I'll give an example. So when I was in the, when I was burning out, when I was utterly, utterly exhausted, I remember one piece of advice that was quite common was we well, should exercise more. And there's tons of research on that. And it makes perfectly sense to say that. So I'm not like angry about that advice. So I'd try it and I'd go home, go for a run. And then I'd be absolutely like triple exhausted. I just I didn't have the recovery within me to do it. But because I was so overwhelmed, um, I couldn't I found it very, very difficult. I felt like I, I was kind of not doing as well as other people. I felt like I was failing in some way. And that weakness made me just allow myself to be overwhelmed by everybody's good advice as well so for me this the priority it's a bit like the emergency state is the overwhelm because if we can find our way out of that then that allows us to gain clarity it allows us to start to see what's going on for us and then if external changes need to be made to our lives to support us better then we can make those decisions. So I hope that makes sense. That's that's where I'm coming from. And the purpose of my podcast is to explore um, this state of overwhelm, which is obviously right now is 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 much 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 worse as we're undergoing this global crisis together. So it's kind of I'm stepping up and and just putting it out there the idea that. We can look after ourselves and the way we set up our society, but but we need to start start with overwhelm. That's what, and I want to explore it, and I want to support you, and I want to hear your experiences, and I want to interview experts so that we can get lots of different resources together, and really start to act in a more um, in a in a more aligned way with ourselves and our own energies and values and then how we are in the world affects all of the other people that we come into contact with so it matters very very much as an individual how how you are in the world so getting out of your own personal state of overwhelm so that you stop reacting and just getting stuff done in in a kind of panicky way because we all do it don't we like busyness is a badge of honor um, how are you? I'm busy. Yeah, really busy. Uh, can't stop. Can't stop. Really busy. I'm doing this, 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 this. And it, and it's great that, that we want to do so much, that we're so passionate about so many things. And a lot of it is created from actually wanting to live fully. But it's actually, we're kind of like, it feels like we're stuck in this state of overwhelm, getting stuff done in order to, and then that in order to never happens. So I know that I do, I'm very prone to going, I'll just do this first. I'll just get this done and then I'll call um, my kids. Or or I'll just get this done and then I'll make time to go and visit my aunt. Or, you know, there's always this delay. Whereas when, when I'm out of overwhelm and I'm able to step back from the busyness, from all the amazing opportunities, from all the things that I need to get done, because, you know, we are we are in a point for most of us in history where we have to earn money. And that that's where a lot of this comes from, I think. Um, so when I can step back from that and when I can get some clarity and reassess my life, I can then start. I find that I start to respond 
rather than react. And coming from that place is really powerful. And it's how I healed my, it was part of my healing journey from burnout because I pushed way past through the overwhelm into disaster and, and damaged my health. So, yeah, this this is really important, this coming back out of overwhelm, just allowing the fog to clear, being kinder, really listening to what, what's important to me. And that's that's, I think it's better if we all start really listening deeply rather than getting through because it feels like we're burning through our lives which is a tragic waste and we're burning through the planet's resources and it's just crisis after crisis after crisis we're not we're not particularly well you know there's a lot of dis-ease that that is not the kind of um illnesses that modern medicine's brilliant at you know this chronic states of exhaustion and, and pain and just never quite feeling well never quite having the energy so much of that around is so sad so anyway there's there's like i feel like i'm going off topic but i'm not to me overwhelm is the gateway to to dealing with these wider issues which are big issues but i just want to focus on overwhelm right now so i this is this is a new thing for me i've um little idea how this is going to go so i'm trying to not be frightened and just treat it as an adventure and this is my current plan these are my some of my exciting things that I want to bring to you each week or however I might do them more than weekly um, we'll just see how it goes so some of them I want to just share my story and ideas just to get you thinking and challenging the idea that overwhelm is inevitable um, and some of them will be, I hope to interview people who I know have something really valuable to say about overwhelm. And then I also, because I teach people how to get out of overwhelm and to relieve that horrible state, um, then I, I think it would be really, it might be really helpful to have podcasts that are just a method and then just label them as a method that you can then slot into your day we'll see how it goes we'll see what you know it's an adventure no idea what's going to happen so I'm just going to go with it so first of all thank you for being here if you're if you're still listening 10 minutes into my first podcast I am so grateful and humbled and honoured that you're here so first of all thank you um so I'm just going to start by saying a little bit about who I am and tell you a little bit about my story so that you can, we can connect and see if anything resonates. So my name's Heidi Mark and I'm not going to tell you the whole story of my life right now because that would be overwhelming. <laughs> I don't want to overwhelm you. I want this podcast to be like an oasis in the in the storm of overwhelm at the moment. So I am now a thriving holistic entrepreneur. I'm quite near the beginning of my entrepreneur journey. Um, I feel like I feel like I was born to be an entrepreneur. I'm an ideas person. I I tend to be quite disruptive in the way I call stuff out and say, why are we doing it this way? This would be easier and nicer. Um, and I think I think that that 
yeah, there's quite there's quite a growing number of, of people who are probably natural entrepreneurs. And at this point in time with this crisis, there's a lot of us stepping up. Um, takes a lot a lot of courage, but it feels right. So um, only a year ago, I was seriously burnt out. So my road to recovery, I think is an important one to share because I know a lot of people are where I was a year ago or where I was two years ago or five years ago or even six months ago. So there's varying degrees of burnout. It's not like a straight road, kind of goes up and down. You come, I personally came in and out of it and then various things collided until, yeah, until I could no longer hold down the tears, until I could no longer jump out of bed and just force myself through the day, bracing myself. And I'm grateful for that, that break, that breakdown. I don't know if it's a breakdown. I don't know what it is. I don't, I don't know if breakdown's the same as burnout, but it, it felt like I was broken. I don't believe I was broken. Um, but I was certainly uh, unable to function at the high level of expectation that I had of myself. So, yeah, very painful, but, but now I have deep gratitude for that because that changed my life. That enables me to be here today talking to you. And, and I know that the people I've worked with over the last year are very, very grateful for that. And the joy I experience when I am doing the work I feel I'm supposed to be doing is unbelievable. And it's not that the work I was doing before didn't have joyful moments. It's just that it didn't allow me the creative freedom within the system to do to work in the way that I need to work. So it's been a it's been a rocky road here. But I'm really grateful to be here. I'm just so excited. I can't tell you how excited I am if one person is listening to this and resonating or gaining anything. You know, if, if this lifts your day in any way, then yay. <laughs> yeah, because podcasts, podcasts do that for me. Absolutely. I mean, if I think of the hundreds of podcasts I have absorbed over the last decade with absolute gratitude for the people who are brave enough to put themselves out there and share their stories and gather information that has helped me with my specific interests and needs at that time um, to be able to step up and start doing that now is just wow so if you're here my one listener <laughs> thank you so much anyway so my road to burnout yeah, so my road to burnout, um, I feel like saying it was paved with gold. And then that seems silly, but actually it was paved with gold. Now I reflect on it. Um, my road to burnout, I think I'm going to start it off with a glass of wine. So I've got a really good friend who I really don't make enough effort to keep up with. And she's amazing. She's like... Uh, I was going to say she's really goal-driven, but so am I. But she's like, she went... we she went on to do like amazing things like iron she did like, I think she's like three iron man she probably did more she's amazing and I was having a glass of wine with her and she said do you want to do half marathon and I went yes because 
I tend to say yes to things like that. I've always been that kind of person. Yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, I'll go around the world with my two kids backpacking. Yeah, I'll do a half marathon, even though I'm not really built to run. I mean, I've done a little bit of running, but it's quite funny. And I was I was running at the time, but not more than, I don't know, 5k or five miles or something, you know. So we had a glass of wine. Would you like to do a half marathon? Yes. And then what happened after that was really interesting. So I really shifted gears in my life because to run a half marathon, you have to train, particularly if you're not like a natural. Some people just seem to glide when they run. That's that's not me. Um, so that that really shifted things because of the well, also if you have a training partner, it really the accountability is brilliant. But it meant that we got out our calendars and planned when to meet for training. Um, throughout the year and what actually happened was I started cancelling a lot of other things so before that I was reasonably sociable even as an introvert I was probably going out quite a lot because I was a single mum so you know I really needed adult adult company and I had quite a lot of fun going out and then it was suddenly like no I don't want to go out particularly if it was late and involved drinking because that just meant I wasn't going to feel like running the next day. So, yeah, that really changed my life, really, because I went from quite laid back kind of attitude to going, right, I'm going to train. So I need to do this, this. And I'm I'm a bit of a I'm a bit of a I'm a huge reader. I like eat information for breakfast. So I, you know, did all my research and went, right, so training, I need to do this, this, this. And I need to hit this many miles by this time. And I need to do. What was I doing? Some crazy thing like running up and down a hill, doing short sprints, because that does something helpful for long distance running. I can't remember it all now. But anyway, I got really stuck into it and it was really nice to see my friend more often. And I really enjoyed that bit. But it was really clear that she was like a super runner and I was like a bit of a rubbish runner. So that that mismatch made me push myself. And although a bit of pushing yourself can be helpful, um, what I actually did is push myself, push my body didn't listen to my body and pushed my body too far and I actually injured myself and I was in quite a lot of pain you know my shins and it was two weeks until the race and we've been training since Easter and I think it was in October and and um, of course I was going to do the race and there's something that shifted there for me that decision to run a race with an injury that that stepping over that running with pain that wasn't good though I would say that was the root of my burnout 12 years later actually probably 14 years later anyway I can't remember but yeah there's something there that choosing to run choosing to put I don't know is it pride I don't know I really wanted to run that race I'd worked really hard and I shouldn't have run it anyway I limped in I did it um and the injury stayed with me for mm, at least a decade for at least a decade I couldn't walk more than two or three miles without being in pain and having to stagger backwards to get home again so you know it's, it's not terrible because you actually you can manage you know day-to-day life wasn't a problem it wasn't like a proper injury where you know like a broken bone but 
that stepping over and not looking after myself is, is really important in my story, I think. And then what I did is because I'd got so good at setting a goal and breaking it down and working towards it, I then decided to finish my psychology degree, which I had started in 1986 and then done a little bit more with the Open University in two, the year 2000. And yeah, my boys were getting older and I wanted to make sure that, you know, when they left home, I was... I was ready, ready to support myself and, and have my time as a career, which I'd put on hold to raise them for various reasons. So, yeah, I then, you know, signed up for my next year with the OU and did that and did really, really well. And I was just on it then. I was on a path. I was on a mission for high, high, high achievement. So I'd done my half marathon. I'd done another year with the OU while raising two children and, and, and working. Quite a stressful job. Um, and then... The Open University changed the rules for my psychology degree and I had a choice. Either I did the final two years, so that's the level three courses, that's like um, doing your finals while while working and raising children. So it's just crazy. So yeah, either I could do the final two years in one year, which is not recommended for excellent reasons, listen to them, they know their stuff, or I could do an extra course. So that meant I could either do it in one year or three years and I just couldn't I couldn't keep going I wasn't for the long haul I, I'm I guess I'm more of a like just I like to get things done so I went for the double time open university and the working I reduced my hours as much as I could but you know I still had to earn money and my kids so that was an interesting year and it made me really productive like you don't procrastinate because <laughs> you haven't got time. So it's good for stuff like that. Um, it's really good for, yeah, it's really disciplined. I learned loads. I did really well, completely overshot the mark and accidentally got a first class honours, which is good in lots of ways. But actually, it wasn't good for my health. Um, I then went to see my friend in Hong Kong and pretty much slept for 14 hours every day for a week because I was so exhausted. Now, the fact that I did that was really helpful because that that stopped me crashing and burning for years then. But I then went into teaching and that meant then doing more studying with the OU. Um, I had to do some mass conversion courses while working. So I went back into education, which is not the most easy you know, it's pretty stressful in education, as, as many people know. So I was working in education, doing more OU stuff when I'd just done tons of it and getting ready to do a graduate training programme in maths. The graduate training programme in maths is brilliant, but it means working while studying and studying to be a teacher is hard enough anyway. And I pretty much think that the first year of te that, that teacher training teaches you how to burn out. That's how I feel. It might be different now. And it's not from lack of care. It's just the job. You know, if, if you want to if you want to get through, you're going to have to crush down your need to do some quite basic things. For example, see friends on a school night, uh, sleep during term time, uh, go to the toilet when you need to because you can't leave kids in the classroom. Um, and if you don't have your drink of water with you, you can't go and get a drink either. Eat properly. I find it very difficult to eat properly during the school day. So it's just like rest when you're tired. Huge one. There isn't. You, you have no control over your breaks. Now, this is common for lots of jobs. 
and I'm not comparing it. I'm not going, woe is me, I was a teacher and blaming it on teaching. I'm just saying that for me, as a conscientious high achiever, that is where the burnout continued. That pattern of overriding what my body needed and what I needed in order to achieve. That's, that started with a glass of wine and teaching was the absolute worst thing I could have done in, in many ways. Because just because, first of all, for somebody like me who has this mission to make the world a better place and is very driven by that and is also an ideas person and is very conscientious and very sensitive, you put me into a situation like teaching and I'm like, oh, my God, this is amazing. You know, all of these kids that I can help um, and then all of these teachers I can help and then just this constant you know ideas and I could make it better like this and I could do this and and so there's lots of opportunity for absolute joy and there's lots of opportunity for serious burnout at the same time because nobody's ever going to tap you on the shoulder and go yeah you do you know what um we love the way you work and we really value you therefore we want you to work less hard nobody's ever going to do that Certainly not in education, because it's a constant bottomless pit of need. You can always do more, which is why that's part of the burnout problem, because you can always do more. You never you always worry that you haven't done enough. Well, I certainly did. And I know a lot of teachers do that. A lot of people do that in a lot of jobs. So, yeah, perfect storm, perfect storm. So I did lots of things. I mean, I, I, I knew because I'd worked in support roles with teachers that it was a dangerous profession for burnout. I was already aware of that my te my my teacher my partner is next teacher for good reason he's next teacher so you know he quite rightly could have turned around and said i told you so but he didn't um he just supported me as i cried <laughs> a lot so i remember very very early in really struggling and i and i, I had a blog because i love to write and uh, one of the titles was I love my job, but it's killing me because every half term we'd go out for a coffee in a cafe and I'd cry. I love my job, but it's uh, because I was just so exhausted, so overloaded, so overwhelmed that I couldn't see what was going on. Now, in the early days, I had a bit I could I had a bit of clarity. So I'd come in with the experience of you know, getting two kids through education, having worked in education and sport roles and being um, living with with an ex-teacher. So it's like I did have some knowledge so I could see partly what was going on. And I was doing things to protect myself. I was making sure that I had a life as well as working. But it wasn't enough. So it, I think it was probably in about the only about the third year of teaching that I went part time. And I was I think it was just like one day a fortnight, but that was my writing day because I desperately didn't want to just be teaching, just getting through. Um, I, I've always wanted more. And I think, think this is also part of my story is this desire for more, to live more fully, to make more of a difference, to have as much joy and experiences as I can. And when you try to cram all of that in, um, I don't know. I just that's what leads to my overwhelm. And I take full responsibility for that now. But I am not. And this is why I'm saying overwhelm is optional. I do not believe that we need to choose between having this wonderful life, making the most, giving the most, living with purpose and joy and excitement and having, you know, the best time, the best ride. 
I do not believe we have to choose between that and our health. And that's what it comes down to for me. I believe overwhelm is optional. I believe that if somebody had shown me what I now know, I could have approached it all differently. But I'm grateful that I had no idea and that I've learned it because as painful as it's been, I'm now in my early 50s and I'm like, right, I know stuff that people need to know and I'm going to share it and I'm developing it into ways I work with people. So that's my journey. I'm owning it. I'm proud of it. And I love it and I'm grateful for it. However, you don't need to um, you don't need to suffer. That's what I'm saying. Let me help you. Let me tell you. See if this resonates with you. OK, so I mean, the the I mean, there's tons of little stories I can tell you in between, but I'm just going to say like the quick end, just the worst, the shameful, embarrassing bit. So. I was teaching in a school and it was getting worse and worse, you know, shortage of teachers, taking on too much, holding it all together. And anyway, I moved schools for various reasons. And I was offered a well-being role and I was so excited because that's my passion, obviously. That's why I'm here. Um, I was so excited. And then Ofsted came in, removed the head before I got there because there's always such a delay between taking a job in teaching and moving schools. And the school just went to absolute chaos, like Lord of the Flies. And my well-being, which was already, I mean, I would argue I'd walked into that job burnt out, but just wasn't that aware of it. Thought somehow, I thought I could solve the problem by changing my external circumstances. And this is really important because I actually don't think you can. I think that it's it's internal work. It's deep work. It takes a lot of reflection, at least it did for me. And it, and it required me um, stepping up to focus on my own needs first. And just lots of things like like taking responsibility for my own burnout, my own choices, allowing people to, to take advantage of me, you know, working out better boundaries and all sorts of things, which are really that's the gold. So the road to burnout is paved with gold because you can go back and find all the treasure that was hidden at the time. Yeah. So I moved schools and that 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 didn't go well. And 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 it. um. I think one of the worst, the worst days for me, and I'm laughing now because I can. And that's good, isn't it? And that's that should give you hope. But one of the worst days for me was my 50th birthday. So it's my 50th birthday and I'd asked for the day off. And you can't do that in schools, but I dared to ask for the day off. In fact, I'd asked for two days off, which is really cheeky. And I was told I could have either the Wednesday, which was my birthday, or the Thursday off. And the reason I wanted the Wednesday and the Thursday off was we were having Heidi Fest, which was this uh, little festival for my 50th in our garden. And um, I, I didn't work Fridays. So if I had the Wednesday, my birthday and the Thursday and then it was the bank holiday, that was like nearly a week off. And that was perfect. I mean, what more could I have asked for, really? So I asked. And I was told you can have the Wednesday or the Thursday. And I thought it's better off having the Thursday because if I have the Wednesday off, which is my birthday, and then I have to go back to school for the Thursday, it's going to be so horrible because all, you know, friends were arriving, my boys, my lovely, lovely grown up boys were arriving. And I, the idea of not being at home on Thursday, just I couldn't do it. So I went into school, this horror, this place that was just torture for me, where I cried on the way. I had no control over the kids because I had lost my ability to teach effectively so everything was just like 
just so painful and so difficult and so horrible and I was just really struggling and I had a lot of support people were so kind to me the staff at this school were most the kindest loveliest loveliest staff ever anyway I go in I go in it's my 50th and I actually had my 40th there as well so that I'm remembering my 40th you know 10 years ago how different things were and I'd been in a different role um anyway I go in and uh year 11 <laughs> made me cry and if you've ever done if you've ever like you have to if you haven't been a teacher you have to imagine being in a situation where crying is the worst thing possible so it might be like you're doing a presentation or something like that you can't cry in front of teenagers teenagers um they they hone in on your weaknesses so if you cry you've lost it Unless it's something like you already have a rapport and something terrible happens, like your dog dies and you cry then, then they they can be really nice to you. But I didn't have that. I wasn't established. I hadn't been at the school long enough. I didn't have that. And year 11, yeah, it was really tough. And I cried in front of the class on my 50th birthday. So, yeah, if any of you are like feeling ashamed of um, feeling horribly overwhelmed and not really coping, yeah there it is that's one of my worst moments it, it was absolutely humiliating and I didn't imagine how I could ever teach again but I did because I was still in that you know instead of going yeah I really need to ask for help and have some time off sick because I'm not particularly well no I just plowed on through because that's what I do and you could say that's that's resilience and strength but I'm not convinced of that and I actually think I should have been signed off sick and asked for help. Personally, I think that would have been a strength. And I think it was possibly for me a weakness not being able to do that. But anyway, by this time, I'd got a job in another school, third time lucky. And um, yeah, so I went there and that didn't work out either. And when the lovely head at this apparently very good school said to me um, when I was having huge behaviour problems, he said to me, um, yeah, it's not just you. That's just what our kids do for the first year. You should go and talk to so-and-so. The first year nearly broke them. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, my God, the education system's bonkers. We actually allow kids to destroy the mental health and well-being of adults. There's something really wrong here. So uh, I quit. But I still serve my notice. Because can you see a pattern here? Can you see a pattern of, of not looking after myself, of being so overwhelmed that I couldn't actually see what was going on? And that's the problem with overwhelm. You cannot see. You cannot see. It's just impossible. And other people around you might not be able to see either, because actually it's quite difficult when we're all so busy, when we're all just getting through, when we're all just behaving like we're just surviving. We're not trying to thrive or... If we're trying to thrive, that becomes part of our to-do list and that makes the overwhelm worse. So, yeah, that's part of my story. Um, that's who I am. I hope that helps you. Maybe it res some of it resonates with you. So the purpose of sharing it, my embarrassments, um, some of it I will tell you a bit more about at another time when it, when it feels more relevant. So anyway, I hope that the purpose is to just make you feel better, to see if if you can 
maybe let yourself off the hook a bit because being an overwhelm makes it very, very difficult to see what to do. So just, yeah, I hope that helps. Anyway, what I want to talk to you about now is my current theory. So this comes from, this is my like unique take on what lots of people have said. And yeah, so this is just my way of saying what I think is going on at the moment. So my idea is that um, as human beings, we've evolved and our brains got bigger and bigger and bigger and we've moved from being really in our bodies more like animals are to like using our brains more and more and more and our brains got bigger and bigger and we we got better and better at creating these amazing societies that until this crazy pandemic hit we were actually at this point in history in the most safe time possible so uh, Steven Pinker talks about how actually if you look at the statistics there's less far less deaths from war and, and, and violence there's less famine um, all sorts of things so we actually at this point in history have managed to set up um, and this is a vast generalization because obviously the West is a lot richer um, but we in general poor people aren't as poor um, and you know we have we have sanitation and, and medicine and and we are safe and we have plenty of food and we you know we've sorted ourselves out into safe um civilized places so this is a good point in history to be alive now obviously since um the pandemic's taken hold it doesn't feel like that at the moment but those structures are still there even if they're shifting so if we just just for a moment take a break from coronavirus which I'm sure you'd love to do and if you're listening to this when hopefully it's all over and the world has shifted in a beautiful way in a helpful way as we've all pulled together that's my deepest hope um, then it won't be relevant so relevant anyway so if you imagine as a species we've evolved and we've we've started to use our brains more and more and more and more and, more and we've created these um, civilizations where we're relatively safe and prosperous. But instead of being able to go, brilliant, I don't have to spend all day hunting and gathering or I don't have to move my whole family because, you know, there's an avalanche coming or I don't have to jump out of the way of that saber toothed tiger. So instead of like having that constant danger and survival, we're now in a situation where we don't have that, if you just put the current pandemic to one side. But instead of being able to relax, instead of our nervous systems going, ah, oh, this is wonderful. You know, instead of thriving and being super healthy and happy, we're all stuck with these, these brains which are, are brilliant, so we can use an iPhone and use Google and create iPhones and Google and, and, and do absolutely incredible things. I mean, if you think what humans have created, I mean, it's just, it's just unbelievable. I mean, look at the internet. The internet's absolutely magical. I mean, the fact that this podcast can go out everywhere, the fact that we have these like little payment buttons and you can transfer money instantly, the fact that you can get stuff off Amazon—I mean, it's just like incredible. It's literally like magic, isn't it? It is magical. It's very, very exciting. But there's all this overwhelm and misery and, and dis-ease where we're not healthy and happy, where we have huge pain, huge 
huge pain. I mean, the struggling going on in the richest countries, which should be the, the happiest, is extraordinary. So my take on that is we just haven't caught up yet and we need to learn to evolve. We need to nudge our evolution. We need to take hold of these brilliant minds and say, OK, how can we set up our society so we thrive? So people aren't going around so bombarded with notifications and advertising and so 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 that their brains are overloaded and they're not. You know, we why have we set up our education systems and our work systems and, and everything so that everybody's just sat when we have bodies that need to move? You know, why are we destroying the planet? So we've, we've kind of like we've we've evolved and created lots of amazing things, but there's been a cost. And to me, the next stage of evolvement is to reconnect with our bodies and start moving as a whole being, because when you reconnect with your body, amazingly great stuff happens. So that's kind of where I am at the moment. We need to evolve and we need to do it in a more purposeful way. Um, and there's so many resources to do this. So what part of my journey is that I retrained as a Zen yoga teacher with Daisan Roshi, who's um, a Zen master, an absolutely incredible man. One of the I think he was the first Englishman to go to Japan or something. And anyway, came back and he set up an amazing organisation and he they do a lot of training um, in the Zen tradition. And that works for me for lots of reasons. But anyway, um, the what how I use it and blend it with my own experience and my long term meditation and mindfulness practice and also you know somebody with a psychology degree positive psychology is a interest of mine and and how those merge together the the Buddhist philosophy and the positive psychology to help us live in a in a more full way in a more purposeful way in a more aligned way and a healthier way more skillfully. So, yeah, so for me, um, using body centered mindfulness, that's what that's my main. That's where I'm coming from. That is the key, because if we think about overwhelm, overwhelm is in our head. And by that, I do not mean that it's imaginary. Not at all. It's not an imaginary podcast. Overwhelm is optional. The reason I'm talking about this is overwhelm is very real, very damaging. It's an urgent thing we need to address. It's what I mean by it's in our head is our we spend so much time living in our head and not in our bodies because of the way we've evolved our societies. And that to address that, the simplest, fast, most efficient, deepest change for me is when we get out of our heads and into our bodies because it's really fast so yes it would be really helpful if lots of us if everybody started meditating got really serious about it but it's not happening yes there's been a, it's acceptable now to say you meditate yes a lot of top business people meditate but there's there's a lot of people who actually aren't meditating or uh feel that they can't meditate so there's a lot of yeah I'm rubbish at meditating I tried meditating and I couldn't calm my mind there's a lot of that kind of failure and or there's this horrible use of mindfulness and meditation which is a very old practice there's a, there's a horrible use of it as a like add-on to schools and organizations to kind of tick a box for well-being and it's not always done cynically but sometimes it is you know it's like well we can give people mindfulness and meditation 
um, and then we can continue to overload them. And that, that's not it's not that's not the point. It's like so missing the point. So I'm about taking what I do is I take all of this stuff, my own journey, my own experience, my knowledge and skills um, and my training in in Zen. And I bring it all together and just go, right, what's the what's the fastest way? Because everybody's not going to start, you know, meditating in a cave for years. So what's the quickest way? How can we embed this into our lives? So that's what I do. And that's what works for me. So that's what's coming out of my journey. And that's what I'm teaching. And that's what I would like to share with you on this podcast, because I just feel it's urgent. And also right now in March 2020, it's like tripled and it's more than that. It's like it's so urgent because we need to respond together to this crisis and we need to have clear heads and healthy bodies and this is how I can help so let me help because I need to help because we all feel better when we help and we all feel better when we're helping in a way that is aligned with us and this is what I need to share right now so my response to the current frightening situation is to challenge you that actually you can get out of your head into your body which will do several things first of all when you get out of your head you stop listening to the loop of doom and that's really important because the loop of doom causes overwhelm and prevents you doing what you need to do to look after yourself and your family and to contribute to the wider community so it's really important secondly learning this is a radical act of self-care and right now your immune system is your priority above everything else your immune system you have a duty to look after your own immune system and not get sick if you can if you can help it so you do everything possible to look after yourself and also not to spread the virus so People often say, oh, yeah, I wish I had time to be kinder to myself. I wish I had time to um, exercise more. I wish I had time to eat better. I wish I had time to meditate. I wish I had time to all these things. Well, do you know what? Forget time. Right now, this is an emergency. Right now is the time to learn radical self-care. So it's a priority. It's a complete necessity so let's do it I can help you it's also what's interesting for me at the moment with this crisis is that actually it reminds us so it's terrible and it's horrible and I get all of that I'm not disputing how horrible it is it's terrifying however it does remind us of some really important things first of all it reminds us just how precarious our life is so you know, I'm in my 50s, so it's not really my physical life so much that I'm I'm worried about at the moment from what scientists are saying, because I'm not in, I'm fortunate not to be in a vulnerable group. But actually, we are all one step away from death. And I don't mean that in a negative way. The reminder that we die makes our life precious. It do not waste your life. Life is so precious. And the gift of the threat of life is that 
we remember that we slow down and we stop trying to get through our life burning through it getting stuff done not spending time with those our love those we love not doing the things that bring us joy not looking after our bodies we just waste it you know scrolling or netflix and don't get me wrong i actually love netflix but seriously it's not how i want to live my life so we need to embrace life you know be joyful laugh play dance do everything we can live really really live connect give so that to me is one of the gifts of this crisis and another thing which is terrifying but if you turn it around is actually really helpful is the fact that we have no control we think we have control we crave stability and control but actually we don't have control and when we let go of the need to try and manipulate everything control everything and just step into this is how things are with compassion with clarity with kindness, with respect, and really importantly, with gratitude, then our lives start to shift for the better and we start to move towards thriving. And this comes from the, the Buddhist, the Zen tradition, and it also comes from um, positive psychology research, neuroscience, you know, so it's coming from both modern day um, research and really ancient practice and philosophy it comes from a lot of different um philosophies and and um what do you call those things disciplines so that's kind of where i'm coming from today and what i'd like to leave you with is let's just do a little grounding practice of getting out of your head that's what i'd like to do so if you're up for that just yeah, let's just do that. So obviously don't do this if you're driving. This is this. I will do um, specific episodes for um, when you're driving, but not today. So just um, yeah, pull over or do this when you get home. So if you're in a position to, then it's really helpful to close your eyes because it makes it easier. And I'm all for making this stuff as easy as possible. We're not trying to calm the mind. That's too difficult. I'm all about making it easy, efficient and effective. So if you're in a position to close your eyes, I'm sitting. You might be standing. You might have to stand. You might be like waiting at a bus stop or I don't know. So you can do it standing. It's absolutely fine. But I'm sitting. It doesn't really matter. So first we'll close your eyes and then move your attention very purposely down to your feet. So feel your feet on the ground. Now your mind's going to keep yanking your attention away from this exercise. And every time it does and you notice, that's brilliant. It's not that you failed. That's the practice. You just keep returning your attention away from the mind back into the body over and over again. And it can feel frustrating, but it works. So just do it. Don't see if you can drop the judgment. I've got ways to help you with that later, but we're just going to do this. So feel your feet on the ground. And really, it's really helpful to do everything possible 
to anchor your attention, your feet. So one thing that can be helpful is to just gently move some of your weight, only a little bit, into one foot and then the other, because that draws your attention, draws your energy down your legs into your feet. So that's really helpful. So just try that for a little bit. Well done. And each time your mind steals your attention and you realise, gently pull your attention back into your feet. Maybe wiggle your toes. And then you could get really curious here. You could think about the temp, feel the temperature of your feet, any physical sensations in the feet. So what do your socks feel like? Or your shoes? Just notice. And then just take your awareness to your knees and just make sure that they're slightly soft. Don't block the knees. So soft knees, feet on the ground. Move your awareness to your belly. And allow your belly to soften if it wants to. And if it doesn't, just notice. So this is an allowing and a noticing. That's it. You, it's not, you don't have to try. Drop the trying. You spend all the time pushing, striving, trying. Give yourself a break. Feel your feet on the ground. Allow your belly to soften or not. Allow your shoulders to come away from your ears if they want to. And if they don't, just notice. And then just notice how you feel. And each time your mind hijacks your attention, takes you on a little journey, time traveling or traveling to a different location or gets you hooked back in the loop of doom about the state of the world, gently but firmly escort your attention back to your feet. Feel your feet on the ground. Allow your belly to soften if it wants to and if it doesn't, just notice. Allow your shoulders to move away from your ears if they want to. And notice how you feel. And however you feel is however you feel today in this moment. And then open your eyes. And thank you, thank you for being here, listening to this, um, take good care of yourself and look out for the next episode. Bye-bye.